Hello and welcome. So we've got a video interview for you today with a chap called Andy. Now, I don't even know what Andy's surname is. Um, we He messaged me on Twitter and we started having a conversation. And it was so interesting. I was like, we've got to record this. And um, the subject of today's interview is AI and specifically chat GPT and all these various um, derivatives thereof and also all these new art apps. Where is this going longer term? Now, I do know that Andy is a futurist, but more than that, I cannot say. So, Andy, hello. Thanks very much for coming and meeting me. Tell me who the hell you are. (laughs) Well, I guess I describe myself as a lifelong technologist and kind of a child of the internet. So, I got online very young, around kind of 12 years old, kind of this is around the mid to late 90s when no one really had internet in their own home. Um, and I felt something in that moment, you know, when I first used it, that the world was about to change, the significance of it. And um, so that kind of obviously led me naturally to become a script kiddie, a anarchist, a coder. Uh, and, I've, you know, no, I've been doing it for a long time now. Um, so I'm kind of a principal technical architect kind of thing. I work for an insurance company. And um, essentially, I kind of, I've thought long and hard about what's going on at the moment, because, you know, when I, I follow technology really closely, I always have. And my reaction to a lot of things that have come out has been kind of, so what? I mean, we could take Web3, for example. I kind of see that as word salad. Um, we could take even crypto. I know you're a fan of crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a novel type of database with niche applications, of which one of those might be very important. But technologically speaking, I think Bitcoin is more of a story about people than it is about the tech itself. And I kind of... Do you want me to argue with you for a little bit about that? You can argue with me for a little bit about that. Okay. Wasn't the great technological breakthrough is that it solved the Byzantine general's problem and the problem of um, essentially creating digital scarcity. Isn't that a very exciting breakthrough? That is an exciting breakthrough. Yeah, definitely. Um, But that's kind of... I want to say that's it, but how is that actually kind of manifested in the world? Because I see Bitcoin as a kind of argument expressed as a binary outcome over time, price up, price down, depending on whether you think that narrative, how how important, sorry, you think that narrative is. Okay, well, I will accept that when Bitcoin's in a bull market, it's going to be the new default monetary system <laughs> of the internet. Yeah, yeah. And when it's in a bear market, it's a bubble and it's over and everyone was a fool for having invested. And I do agree that price drives narrative. I, I think but that, yeah. The the thing about... the technological breakthrough which is digital scarcity Mm. and from that you have digital cash and the idea why the implications of it are so big is that here is a decentralized form of money and if you if you buy my argument that money is at the blood of a society and we need healthy money and we need independent money and all that stuff then the fact that there is an independent system of cash that people can track a borderless system of cash that has no central body in charge the implications of the application of that um, technology are fairly profound, I would say. I agree with that, but most of what you just said wasn't much to do with the technology and was more to do with kind of everything else around it, right? I think for me, crypto, to be honest with you, I was kind of across crypto too early. I, I came across it. I thought, this is great. I started mining it. I started trading it. I accumulated some. It was worth nothing. And so, like many others, the story repeats time and time again. Didn't keep that hard drive because it just wasn't a big deal. 
And um, and then when it started going up, I just thought it's not going to keep going up, so I'm not going to buy any. It's not going to keep going up any. It's not. It won't go any mo- yeah, yeah. you know further. And even for when every it, Bitcoin billionaire, there's a million guys. Exactly. And even from the, the the crash from the original, was it nineteen thousand dollar high? Even then, I was like, it's not going to get that high again. <laughs> so maybe I'm just in the wrong mentality to to think about uh, you know anything which is kind of in the the financial realm. Mm-hmm. But I would say that just from a pure technology standpoint, that um, I. I haven't felt the way I felt about a paradigm shift since I used the early internet when I was a child to when I used ChatGPT. Bitcoin aside, mm. and I, I agree that the actual act of transacting in Bitcoin, it gives you a little tingle, but I don't use it day to day. I don't think anybody does, and that's kind of the thing, right? It's not quite It'll a currency or, not yet. or a store of value. Because it fluctuates so much. Okay, and, we've yeah. had our <laughs> we've had our conversation about Bitcoin, and and there'll there's but many that's the who perfect look- illustration of of Bitcoin because, like I said, it's an argument expressed as a binary outcome over time. Mm. One narrative versus another, price goes up, price goes down. I just think it will continue in that way for a while. Fair enough, fair mm. enough, and and I accept that. But I agree with you that. Like you, you probably said, saw those stats that did the round about ChatGPT, the the time to get to a million users, yeah, and and like Netflix that's one of the was- main talking points about ChatGPT, and the other one is around um, its political biases and stuff like that. And I kind of, I guess, part of the reason I'm here is that I thought long and hard about this, and I think that people are missing the point a lot with the main talking points that are going on. I also think that a lot of predictions around what's going to happen with AI are kind of off. And I think part of the reason is that what qualifies someone to talk on this topic? I mean, I'm here as a kind of technologist, but I'm not a talking head. I'm not particularly, you know, I'm not an AI expert, so to speak, although I do know, you know, I know it quite well, mm-hmm. you know, the various techniques and how they're employed and how they work, I could describe to you. But I don't even think the AI experts are necessarily the right people to to speculate on how it's going to actually manifest in the world. And so the kind of message I sent you was a bit of a brain dump to just kind of illustrate some of the things mm-hmm. I've thought about. And we'll go through them. Um, it might be worth starting with some of the more, I guess, negative impacts that, that we might, that are kind of obvious. Yeah. And moving on to the positive, because I think overall it's a net positive, And I think that it's good to, you know, end on an optimistic note, because I mean... Tell me a technological breakthrough that didn't benefit mankind overall, right? Even, I'm using, even nuclear weapons, you can't really argue. That, I, I know, yeah. I know. Okay, so I am using, just in terms of, you know, I'm an old fuddy-duddy, I'm 53. I'm using ChatGBT every day now. Yes. Yeah. When it allows me. Sometimes the, it, I get server overloaded or whatever the message is. <laughs> You're and, paying then. <laughs> you know, if I'm doing it, there are bound to be other people doing it yes and my output has increased quite my output was already pretty good yeah but it has increased considerably as a result and it is a real backbreaker you know when you've got to sit down and go you know can you send me a 300 word proposal on this can you write me a 1000 word blog on this and you're like there's always a hurdle you've got to get over to get those first words on the page Mm. and Chat GPT is that hurdle yes. if you want to use it for that. You've you got to be pretty careful, I think. It's but. exactly the same for coding as well. Speaking as a software engineer, no one's using it to automate their job. But in exactly the same way, they're using it for boilerplate code. They're using it to write tests, which are you know, boring and quite templated. 
Um, they're also using it to convert languages between one another. They're mm-hmm. using it to debug errors or just to, again, just to create a starting point. It's exactly the same. It's very, it's as fluent in code almost as it is in language. Yeah. And I can go, for example, I'm writing a new book and I've got to read lots. When you write a book, you've got to read shed loads of other books. And I'm able to just go summarize this book in a thousand words. Yes. Yeah. And bosh. Yeah. Straight away. Yeah. And the reason it's straight away is that it's not actually calculating it in the way you might expect. Right. It just kind of knows. Like, yeah. It's yeah. But I will say this. It is wrong all the time. <laughs> of course, yeah. All the time. It just gets basic stuff wrong. It's actually more amazing that it's ever right because it's only predicting the next word in terms of how it actually streams its output. It's it's essentially kind of it's predicting on what it thinks is the right result. As you know, not connected to the internet, out of date knowledge, and no understanding of the real world whatsoever beyond the way language connects to itself. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, um, I was watching a YouTube lecture, 45 minutes about oil and gas. And um, I just messaged it, the lecture, and said, summarise the lecture for me. And it just kept summarising a Brené Brown TED talk from about five years earlier. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, I repeatedly said, no, you meant, and it just didn't get it. Anyway, so we've established the first thing that people are using it and it it is going to increase output. Um, now, the first thing you messaged to me was the potential for disinformation, yes. which is connected to one of the first things you mentioned, which is yes. bias. Yes. So let's talk about that. Well, it's actually it's, it's far bigger than that. So ChatGPT is, a, is um, a language model. That's one AI technique of many that have come out. So you've also got things like stable diffusion, which is used to generate images, um, and various other AI techniques that are being used to do things like... Um, voice impersonation, deep fake videos as well, you know, and then you've also got ChatGPT, which is for for the written word. And, and I you don't sent know... me a video game yesterday that had Donald Trump, Joe Biden and Obama yeah, all yeah. playing some video game and having the bants while they played the video game. Yeah. And the, I thought the Biden impersonation was excellent and the Obama and the Trump, I could tell it wasn't them. If you go go and search for the for a Joe Rogan impersonation, there's a there's an I've AI impersonation. It's it's indistinguishable in yeah. terms of the voice. That's yeah. the one when he gets old, when he gets old and he's having the bants with Ben Shapiro, and they're both getting on. There's probably multiple okay. out there then, but the one I'm thinking of is is indistinguishable from his real voice, and um, it starts out fun because we know it's fake. Yeah, right. It starts out fun. Um, but the thing of it is, if you were to plot the rate of progress on a chart, you'd see that we are going to get to, you know, highly detailed 4K video of Biden giving a speech that he never gave with all the same incoherent nonsense that <laughs> you'd probably get in a real Biden speech. And, yeah, you know, I mean, potentially we could have Joe Biden declaring war on Russia. Right, exactly. And I think, though, by the time that we get there, I think most, you know, at the geopolitical level, there's going to be a, an awareness of the fact that tech is there because it's going to step its, its mm. way up there. No one's going to resist until it gets to suddenly believable quality and it's going to you know, gradually work its way up. But, but, well, but let's say I want to lose Joe Rogan's job because yes. I want to be the, you know, the £100 million podcaster on yeah. Spotify. Yeah. I could conceivably get a, a video of Joe Rogan going on you know, a racist rant or something. Yes, exactly. Post that to the internet. Yes. And by the time he's proved it's fake... Yes. 
the damage has been done. The damage has been done, and um, you know, but but there's a flip side to that as well, which is maybe he really did, and he just declared declared it wasn't me, it was a deep fake, it wasn't me, it was my AI assistant or mm-hmm. something. You know, those are the kind of excuse economy reasons that will come out in the future. Maybe it will be good for free speech in that way. People can let loose and open their minds knowing that they've got that to fall back on. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the, um, from the disinformation, let's talk yes. about fact checking. Yeah. Fact checking is a difficult one. I mean, the way, the, I think the best way to understand what's going to happen is if you look at something like COVID, where if I asked you to assemble a team of experts and ask them a simple question, which is a yes, no question, um, did it originate in a lab in Wuhan, for example? Do you think you're going to get a unanimous answer straight away? Or do you think if you went to find that out, you went to find the truth of that out, that you'd get an answer? Everything is so ambiguous and there is so much information pointing in different directions and you really wouldn't know where to begin. And I would kind of describe what's going to happen as like the COVIDization of everything because people had time and motivation to sit there and craft information or seek out information and pitch it against each other and create this utterly, you know, this, this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like monolith of information, impenetrable to figure out what the truth actually is. And it will kind of be like that, right? Because if you can generate content that quickly and automate social media accounts that quickly and just give it basically a, okay, this is my political inclination. I want this information in this direction. And you're just pushing a button and creating videos and memes and pictures and whatever you want, essentially. The saturation will be immense because there's a will for that to be the case. And the algorithms today on social media won't be able to tell the difference. Gosh, and it the really saturation. Will be. The I mean, saturation. We're not yeah, satis- yeah. saturated with enough media. I mean, look at is. YouTube already. So there was, um, I saw a, a TikTok by this clever young kid who basically said he was making money by getting ChatGPT to write interesting video scripts that he would run through another AI that would add a realistic spoken voice on top and then run it through another AI that would go on source stock images that are open source and put, put them together in a video. He would just upload that to YouTube and then he would do that like 500 times and just saturate YouTube with videos. And people would click on them and they would just about compelling enough to watch. You would get just enough views that you would generate some monetization. So it's a scary future for things like this, like where... You, you know, there will be a lot of genuine content out there. There will be a lot of stuff out there that's worthy of consumption. But ultimately, it, the, yeah, saturation is going to be the thing. Yeah. Because you, people will, things go viral that people want to see. And that's the direction it's going to move in. It's going and to you often can't explain it until afterwards? Why is no. that? Why is that video of the guy with the dog got a million views and that one, whatever? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to figure out. But if you, it's kind of a, just a numbers game. You take enough stabs at it, eventually you go viral, right? And how many how many times can AI roll the dice versus yeah. a human? You mm-hmm. know? That is infinite monkey theory. Yes, isn't it? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Barry Weiss was writing about this, the um, American journalist, and it sort of caught my attention. Is one of the great things about the democratization of media is that anyone can start a podcast. I can yes. uh, have a weird conversation with you over Twitter, and suddenly we're recording a TV program. Yes, you know, twenty four hours later. And so, and that's wonderful. So loads of people who maybe, you know, weren't one of the chosen few at the BBC are able to become TV presenters or become journalists or become comedians, whatever it is. In fact, citizen journalism does, for me, it does a better job than actual journalism at the time. Mm. Um, So 
in fact, almost all of the time, because you tend to get people with much more specific knowledge. Anyway, but the the downside of that is it's been it's very hard to get attention. Yes, and you know, there's only so many eyes in the world. Um, so, but with this saturation that you're describing, we're just going to see a total dilution of content. We're going to see a dilution of content and we'll also see... Sorry, dilution of attention. I think oh, I dilution of attention. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there will be, there will definitely be calls for digital ID and, you know, the end of anonymity. And I think we'll also, I've kind of got a prediction. I had this idea for a startup years ago. I never, never did it, never got around to it, but here's an idea for a startup for mm-hmm. anyone listening. Um, the way most trust is established on the internet is with public-private asymmetric RSA encryption. So you have a public key and a private key, and the public key is available for anyone to use to verify that something was signed by a specific private key. Okay, just explain. That's I mean, I know that's how Bitcoin wallets, but you said yes. that very quick, quickly, yeah. and my mum will be listening. Yeah. So just explain that slowly. In a very simple, the, the simplest way to describe it is that there are two keys. One is held privately and and must be kept secret. The other one is public information for anyone to know. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm predicting is that the way this would pertain to disinformation is that a prominent individual... I think it's the use of the word key mm. that, that interests me. Here. Oh, okay. Like I don't a, think a lot of people know what a key is. Right, okay. A key, I guess, is... Um, it's kind of a digital token that's too complicated to guess. Is a, is okay, a, a, like so a, like a password. Kind of like a very long password. But what's specific about this form of encryption is that whoever has the private key can sign, as in like a signature, any digital content. And then anyone with the public key can use that key and it fits into a slot, just like a keyword, and turn it. And what will happen is you'll see that that signature is valid, which means that it definitely came from the individual who holds that private key. Okay. Was this not one of the breakthroughs of, of Bitcoin and crypto? No, this this is actually how um, most security kind of works on the internet, like SSL. Like, So when you're doing online banking and buying things and your credit card information is mostly secured in that way. So okay. it's been around for a while um, and it's very mature. And there are these things called certificate authorities. Mm-hmm. Those are companies who issue certificates and their job is basically to establish trust by verifying you are who you say you are before they give you the certificate. So if you're interacting with Amazon.com, um, a certificate authority like Global Sign might say, you know, have their their sort of um, company name in that certificate and you can view that in your browser and see that they issued this certificate. And that's kind of underpins trust on the internet. My prediction is that this is going to spill out from the internet and come into the real world. And the way that would work is that uh, a prominent individual like a politician would have a set of keys like I've described um, and they would essentially have a device near them or just around them that would listen to what they say when they're doing official speeches, which would then essentially emit an audio watermark or maybe a visual watermark that could then be verified by anyone online. So expect to see, the the simplest way of describing it is expect to see things as like cryptographically verified on the internet in future when as a kind of solution to all the deep fake stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you see a, a speech of um, of a politician, uh, you might see something like a, a, a lock or a, a symbol that shows that this is verified. We know this individual said this. Okay, so then doesn't that close the door to, you know, do you remember the fake shake? 
No. Okay, no. so the fake shake <laughs> was a creation of, I think, the sun, but it might have been the mirror. I th- wasn't it the fake shake that took down Sam Allardyce, who was the England manager? It might have been. Mm. So he would. they would have this character called the fake shake who would go and offer you, you know, a huge amount of Middle Eastern money to do some oh, deal. Oh, right, OK. And it was totally bent deal, and he'd have a recorder going in his bag... And uh, then he would go to the sun or the mirror or whoever it was with the recording and go, look, I've just proved that the England manager takes bribes or whatever it is. Um, That's due a comeback, I think. Well, it, <laughs> I don't know what happened to the fake shake. But anyway, the uh, but but it means that that kind of thing can't happen because it wouldn't be cryptographically verified. Yes and no, because it's kind of like... Only the, the way this will start out is that only prominent individuals, politicians, maybe celebrities, mm-hmm. would start by doing this. But they're they're not going to use it when they're off. You know exactly. Yeah. So so essentially, it if you think about like early television where you only had a few channels, it's kind of going to be like that. In terms of verifiable information that you can be sure is not fake, it's going to be very limited, and it will pretty much just be like to keep us sane online so we know that, hey, this really is the news and these things really okay. are happening. And everything else on social media, basically, you can assume is fake until proven otherwise. Okay. Are we all not going to go mad, not knowing what the I truth is? I just think is? we'll switch it off. I just think we'll switch it off. Because you can still, if you trust a news source, let's say you trust the BBC not to be taken in by all of this, you can still go to their website, know that that's their website, see the news as reported by them and know that, that probably pertains to the truth. It's really kind of social media that I think is the main thing that's going to suffer mm. as a result of this. And essentially it will go either two ways. Like either we'll all get hypnotized by all of the conspiracy and viral like stuff that just satiates everything that we want to believe. Or we'll switch it off. And um, or we'll, you know, something like digital ID will come in kind of like the verified tick on Twitter. Mm-hmm. People are going to want to be verified so that they can rise above the level of noise and say, yeah. I'm a human, this is my opinion. Have you verified yourself on Twitter? No, no. Right. Um, I, but I don't want to pay £7 a month, whatever it is. Yeah. Plus people love I, to, people I, love I, to rip to on you for paying for Twitter. Person. Sorry. Yeah. People love to rip on people that pay for Twitter as well, which is really odd because if it's a product that you use every day, and you're paying seven dollars for it or something like it's kind of it's kind of more embarrassing not to but yeah i don't know i think they're just just having a go at the person that's done it in order to um assuage their own guilt or whatever they that's feel most political discourse though at its core <laughs> <laughs> okay so we've talked about so we talked about fact check and we talked about the um this is some of the Saturation. negative stuff. Yeah. 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 Where, where do you see Twitter going in all of this then? Because at the moment, I think it's the first place that people go to when they're looking for news about something. Yeah. I think I think it will just become toxic and people will start to leave it. I mean, you saw what happened with Facebook, right? So it's, it's kind of a generational thing as well. Like the millennials left Facebook and went to Twitter. That left boomers arguing about politics on Facebook. Next, the Zoomers and the are going to leave Twitter, and that's going to leave millennials arguing about politics on Twitter. I don't know, something like that. Okay. I just think it will slowly rot. Basically, it will become so a disinformation. Will come along that all the kids use. 
I mean, think about it. Are you going to want to log on to Twitter in five years and see either, you know, completely watered down, verified truth, you know, sponsored by CNN, or just a, like an absolute swamp of what is probably all fake? That's basically going to be what Twitter's going to be like, right? Would you really want to log on and use that? It just won't be compelling. And I think that, um, I think it was someone at Facebook now, Meta, obviously, that said we need more social mediums and less social media, which is kind of what they're trying to do with the metaverse. Mm-hmm. They're trying, because there's something about like putting content out asynchronously for people to consume that that brings out the worst in us, whereas just chatting to people like we are now kind of brings out the best in us. So I think we need more of that. I think all the Zoomers, all the kids are going to go off and get into online gaming and stuff and just be like, sod the politics, sod all the fake stuff. Well, my kids, just looking at them, my daughter probably uses, my eldest daughter probably uses the internet more than it. My youngest daughter's like uber cultured and she'll just be watching Brahms videos on YouTube or something, you know, yeah. so she'll be all right. Um, but the elder one like went through a phase of being seriously addicted to Twitter, uh, to um, TikTok and right. her phone. And, but she seems to have got over it and she's like, deleted the app and tries to spend less time on her phone because I think she realised, recognised the damage it was doing to her. Yeah, it kind of hypnotises people. One time I tried to take her phone for her, it was like, it was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hypnotising people with what they want to see, I guess, Mm. which is kind of what this information will do really well. It will tell people what they want to hear. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what, that's what already goes viral today, right? It's not necessarily things that are true. It's things that people want to be Mm -hmm. true. So it's going to be an extension of that, but it will just be instead of a text, a piece of text, or someone saying something, it will be a, a video or something very compelling. And but I, I really don't think it will last too long. I think people, you saw how quickly things moved with the early internet, and it's going to kind of be like that again. Things will just change rapidly, and we'll just take it for granted, right? Now, one of the things you said is that you think certificate providers. This is what you said in the message to me. You're going to make yeah. a lot of money. I uh, think so. Um, yeah. Should we be investing in certificate providers, internet security, cyber security, all that kind of thing? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, most of them are private companies. You've got companies like HID, you know, mm-hmm. that they, they own. I can't remember which one it is, but they own one of the main certificate providers. Those, yeah, that, like I said, they underpin the majority of trust on the internet today. But there's only so many large websites that need certificates if everybody needs a certificate and they're, they're not cheap <laughs> right so like ordinary joes won't they're not something an ordinary joe would buy i don't think so because it's the equivalent of buying a yellow a blue tick is it yeah something like that so maybe i would rethink that because i think that mm-hmm. it will either be it will either be digital id or it will be like the internet will be a bit of a wild west and i kind of hope for the latter because it was more fun in the early days when it was a wild west Chat rooms and the like, you know, all chat kinds rooms of chaos. Were fantastic. Chat rooms were fantastic, and this is what I mean about like, so that's a social medium, right? There's no media that there. there's no you're not you're not micro publishing in a chat room. No, you're just talking to someone, and I think that's what we need. We will get closer to things mm. like virtual reality and all that stuff. Will will basically put people in a room together wherever they are, and you'll just be talking. Mm. You know, even if it's to an audience, that's still better than than this micro-publishing thing that we've become obsessed with. Okay, now you um, mentioned cracking private keys uh, in your message. Can you talk about that? <laughs> well, the, yeah, so breaking encryption is a really big deal and hasn't, 
So if you break encryption, you break the whole internet, you know. And I'm, most people are convinced, most security professionals are convinced that a lot of states are trying to do that. And maybe they've successfully done that. We don't know. I guess what, what made sort it, of North Korea or someone? Don't think they would have the resources to crack a problem like that. But you said that. a lot of states, you know, China or someone. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, there was also some worry that things like quantum computing might come into the mix and that quantum computers might break encryption or something mm. like that. I don't think it's likely to happen. I guess it's not so much about cracking, but more about if you have a private key that says, I am Joe Biden, and this video is verified information, and you got that key and then put out a video declaring World War III or whatever, then then you're in trouble, right? So, But then, you know, in a way, we're kind of already there. Like, if you think about... A lot of your life is driven by API calls, and you don't realize it. And all of those API calls are cryptographically signed anyway. So, <laughs> Right. What's an API call? Um, an API call is a, a system talking to another system. So when you okay. make a bank transfer or okay. you get a message or anything that happens digitally mostly happens. Anything that happens between two systems, essentially. Nowadays, it's an API call. Okay. So in all of this, there is going to be... Like, I, I listened to a podcast with somebody, this is two or three years ago, pre-COVID, and he was talking about AI. And mm. he said one of the problems that AI was having is that it was learning un, socially unpalatable truths, let's say. Yeah. And so they were already programming the uh, AI to... Offset not reveal yeah, yeah to offset yeah and so and and that's been plainly obvious that that's happened with chat gpt yeah so let's talk about the wrong sort of intelligence emerging and the bias of systems and and i suppose there's going to be calls like if chat um gpt starts saying for example that one race is cleverer than another race or something like that which i think has been proven by IQ levels that certain races are cleverer than the other. I'm not sure, and it's not somewhere <laughs> I want to go in this conversation. <laughs> no. But to say it patently as truth, which is what AI does, is would not be acceptable to a lot of people, and it certainly wouldn't be acceptable in the current... Uh, um, yeah. Well... Environment. You see what I'm going... I'm, yes. I'm asking, yeah. One thing I'd, I'd like to change about the way you think about it is when you say, like, the AI... Because okay. there are many techniques and large language models of which ChatGPT is one of is one technique. There's also mm. things like stable diffusion and general adversarial networks and other techniques. And the amount of techniques is increasing, which is what's so exciting and what's so transformational. But you're right. But this has actually been going on for a long time. Um, I think about eight or so years ago, there was an insurance company that was using some kind of basic machine learning to drive risk in terms of when you fill in a car insurance quote okay and pe- and a journalist went on and filled in a car insurance quote and he got it he got a quote and then he changed nothing about his about any of the details apart from he changed his first name to mohammed and the quote went up and they published a story on it caused an outrage the insurer apologized and i think proceeded to do nothing about it because what can they do they're using accident data to drive yeah that risk assessment so this has kind of already been around for a long time. Okay. But there it was will a story last year in the States where uh, um, I think there were a black couple in somewhere in California mm. 
got someone to come around and value their house yeah. and they valued it at X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then they, the black couple got two white friends of theirs to come and pretend to be them. And the white couple came and they got someone to come and value the house. And the house was much, valued much higher when it was a white person's thing. And that's now that's slightly different. It is. That's personal bias. Yes, rather than data. But yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, I was just minded of that story. Okay, so... Certainly you're right, though. I think AI will never be politically correct because political narrative is... Well, any narrative is only somewhat rooted in reality. Like, yeah. reality is noise, and a narrative is the pictures, the shapes that you paint mm-hmm. on top of that noise. And the more dots you connect, the more compelling that narrative is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, AI is going to see the noise, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. I've got another one like you, like that on insurance, which is quite an interesting one. Apparently, if you buy fresh fennel, so the insurance company can see that you bought fresh fennel last time you went to the supermarket because it's got access to your whatever, your no, credit card record or something. <laughs> but if you buy fresh fennel, that is a very strong indicator that you're likely to be a low insurance risk. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes sense, though, when you sort of think it through. It does. I, I feel like... as. Uh, t- to this point, we've talked a lot about negatives. Yeah, well, we want to go in the positive, but let, let's. Yeah, I want to talk about what the calls to regulate AI that we're going to see. Well, we're already seeing those at the moment. One of the hot areas is around art, digital art. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, you have stable diffusion models, which is another AI technique which are used for generating images. Um, and I'd advise anyone who hasn't tried it to go and try it. You, you give it a prompt and it comes back with an image. Yeah, which app are you using? I'm using Midjourney. But you, I couldn't sign up to Midjourney for some reason. It wouldn't let me. Do, are you paying for it? Um, yeah, I'm paying for it because it's kind of addictive. <laughs> yeah, how much do you pay? It's like five or a month? Or it's ten? something like that. It's not as quite a okay. amount of money. And, um, but Is Midjourney the best one? It's one of the better ones, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a few out there. Um, it's a fascinating technology in itself i mean remember this came swallow the subscription yeah it's it's worth it i mean i would subscription but you should subscribe to my uh yeah yeah absolutely um yeah stable diffusion so what it does is it looks at an image and it gradually turns it to noise and then it practices rewinding that noise back into the image and they've trained it on something like a billion images that are in the public domain that includes all art because art is in the public domain, mm-hmm. where you don't have to own a Picasso to go and look at one. Mm-hmm. So it's out there and it's learned from it. And if and if you, what's really fascinating about these stable diffusion models is they've basically learned all our aesthetics and they really have learned them. They understand them. You can ask it to do something in any given style, whether that's a style in history or a, or a cultural style or a national style or a, a particular artist. And it, it understands the aesthetic well enough that it can actually create something that's quite compelling although not hands yet for some reason but they're, they're working on that you can't do hands yeah try and ask it to, to do handshakes and stuff like that and you'll see extra fingers and stuff like oh, that wow. yeah which is um one of the fingerprints of of ai generated images but it won't but i see the stuff people post online it's great yeah it's good and um but the reason how this feeds into calls to regulate ai, AI is that artists aren't happy about it and the reason they're not happy about it is Partly because I don't want to 
annoy too many artists here, but <laughs> essentially what they're annoyed about is that it's been trained on their art. There are art. no artists that listen to this show. Um, yeah, okay, that's good <laughs> to know. It's been trained on all art, including theirs, without their permission. Now, you could argue, as many do, that that's no different than a person looking at lots of art, learning from it, and then doing their own, right? But because of the fact that it's a machine doing it, that's essentially the thing that, that makes them kind of upset because it's it's kind of automated and it's not fair is how they see it. And the the thing I can understand is that if you're an artist, not a particularly rich or famous artist, but you make a living, you've made a name for yourself, you have a style, and people are asking AI to make images in your style, and then they're taking those images and using them maybe commercially. I can see why they might be annoyed by that. Mm-hmm. But if we take that back for a second, I could go and hire an artist who is cheaper and ask them to do something in the style of that artist. There's nothing illegal about that because you can't copyright a style. But I think the argument will be that either you can or that maybe artists should be kind of rewarded when their names are used in prompts or when their art is used, you know, is taken into account when doing the generation. But I don't think it's possible to ascertain that. And even if it were, it's trained on a billion images. Yeah. How much money do you think you will be owed for an image, you know, uh, so so many fractions of a penny that it's it's probably not even possible to allocate any value. And bear in mind, it's trained on all, not only all art ever, but photographs and all images that it could basically get its hands on. So that's why artists are upset about it. But I would say to that, that there is money flowing into this sector. There are companies right now, like Midjourney, who charge money. There are also companies like Lenza. With Lenza, you can upload pictures of yourself and it will create uh, AI-generated selfies, like artistic pictures of you. Uh, and people are paying a lot of money for stuff like that as well. I think that's more like $20. But would any artist make you 100 personalized selfies for $20? No, they wouldn't. Would any artist make you unlimited pictures that you wanted for $6 a month? No, they wouldn't. So these are new markets. They're not. They're not. It's not clear at the moment that that these um, image generators are actually diverting money that would have otherwise gone to artists. And to be honest, if I were an artist right now, I would be looking to be leveraging it in my favor because you have to move with the times, right? You know, when cameras came out, you're still a painter. Seems like they got an unfair advantage. Well, become a photographer or or incorporate that into your work Mm -hmm. somehow, you know? Use it to empower you because the truth is that anyone can use this technology, but actually getting good pulling really compelling images out takes a lot of practice because you're kind of you're fishing in an infinite pool of aesthetics so the right prompt will one word in a prompt can dramatically change the output that it gives you yeah it's kind of like being a director yes rather than a like a lot of directors for example if they're directing a film and they'll hire a certain actor not because he's a particularly good actor but they just know that that actor can take really specific instruction Mm. or they'll hire the actor because he can't take an instruction and he's a brilliant improver, whatever. But so the skill is in the direction rather than in the actual craft. Yes, exactly. But in terms of like calls to regulate, yeah, artists aren't happy that this is happening. They would like the option to opt out of training models and so on. But, you know, I, I don't think, I think they've got a chance. I, I, I sympathise, I really do. I sympathise, but ultimately you've got this new technology which is creating an abundance of beautiful imagery. Do you really want to destroy that, or like you know, using a using a, a legal method that's in the corporate interest? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think so. 
Um, because it's a bit you know, like Spotify music. In a way. It's exactly like that, where as soon as you had... Because peer-to-peer music sharing was better than the alternative. It was better than, le- than legally going out and buying. It was more convenient. Mm. The music industry was forced to give us something better, and eventually it did. Spotify is worth it. It's better than going and downloading things illegally, where you could get viruses or you have to hunt mm. around for the right tracks or the quality might be low. It's not available when you at a whim, whenever, whenever yeah. from wherever you need it. So, you know, abundance is a good thing, and it doesn't have to be physical goods. You know, mm-hmm. abundance of art is surely a good thing, right? And enabling anyone to create compelling images is surely a good thing. So, I don't know if you know this, but I've worked in voiceovers all my life, mm. thirty years now, uh, and ever since probably the late nineties, they've been trying to design tech that automates voices so i remember one guy we got, we were really pissed off with him but this would have been late 90s early noughties he just sat in a studio for a couple of weeks recording all sorts of weird phrases that deemed didn't seem to make any sense and the a the computer whatever was learning all the different inflections yeah blah, blah, blah. yeah and the automated voice tech it's got better and better and better but there's still work for voiceovers and i think it's probably shaved off a lot of the size of the industry but we do seem to have reached a point reach reach a point now where you'll be able to go like if you're using final cut pro or avid or one of the video editing things and you've got an end line you type in the end line and then you click on you know male 50s english northern yeah whatever or even just morgan freeman <laughs> well exactly or like morgan freeman but with a touch of russell crowe yeah 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 um but as soon as you go Morgan Freeman, then Morgan Freeman should get, you know, X percent of whatever it is. Mm. But if it's just, you know, West Yorkshire or something, it's not quite so person specific. But it'll put the person who does the best Yorkshire voice out of business. And and then you can do things like, you know, a lot of the time in a voiceover, you'll be recording it and they the thing lasts 10 seconds and the script is too long and they want it at nine seconds. And you'll just be able to just speed it up and tweak it and push and prod it. And I still think the best voiceovers will work. But, for example, audiobooks is such a labour-intensive job. I can imagine. It could take a week to read a book. And, you know, the voiceover probably wants to be paid. If he's any good, he probably wants 500 quid a day, three, four, 500 quid a day, maybe more. And... You know, he'll do a little voice. If it's a fiction, he'll do a little voice for all the characters or he might have a very trustworthy tone that lends itself to history or science, whatever it is. Um, I, I can just see... I, I, I can't believe that AI isn't already doing it. In fact, I know yes. I know voices who have been hired by Amazon to 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 record to stuff. Become the AI and so they voice, will yeah. be the basis yeah. of, of the Amazon audiobook voice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you said like a trustworthy tone to the voice. I mean, that's replicatable. It's just audio, you know. That's yeah. the scary thing about it. In fact, um, one thing that's interesting about audio in general is that this technique I described for images, stable diffusion, talked about how it, you know, turned noises back into images. Um, I saw an experiment online. Somebody had converted a number of songs into like, you know, spectral, basically converted the song into an image of the waveform. Uh, and trained it on those images and then asked it to create a new one and it did and it converted it back into audio and you had a song not a very good one but I guess the difference is that 
you have a billion images in the public domain, go get me a billion songs. You know, Spotify isn't going to let you get its whole library and train an algorithm on it like that, right? You can't just go download all the songs. And mm. so that's really the, the reason why it hasn't happened. But it's going to be really hard for artists, writers, like, f- I, 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 I don't know how what percentage of content online is just going to be written by bots now, but if they're cheaper than get writing bloggers, yeah, you know, particularly financial journalism, sports journalism, you know, if they're just reporting on, you know, HSBC re- re- released its latest results, blah blah yeah. blah, you 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 don't need a person to write that I unless think it's they're offering any opinion. Definitely, I think a lot of artists um, anticipated that automation would come after the blue collar jobs the manual labor, mm-hmm. the jobs people didn't want, and that would set them free to create art and do things that are beyond what a machine can do. And I think people are surprised and disappointed that it's kind of been flipped on its head and they've realized that art and music and expression are <laughs> somewhat predictable. Well, it's, I mean, it's a hard enough business as it is. Yeah, definitely. But crikey, a lot of guys, it's, it's about to go through a big period of upheaval. And those who adapt best, you know, if you're, you wonder about NFTs now, what's the point of NFTs? Um, yeah. You know, those, you know, there's like novelty things where you can buy someone a plot of land on the moon. Yeah. That's an NFT because you don't really own a plot of land on the moon. You own a certificate saying that you do. Yeah. That's an NFT. That's how I, I want to be the guy that sells <laughs> the plot of land. On yeah. The moon. Yeah. For sure you do. Yeah. For sure you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So Tough times ahead for artists, but I guess they're just going to have to adapt. And if you're one of the lucky few who's right at the top of the tree, you'll probably benefit somehow. You'll probably... Yeah, yeah. But I would say, like, use the new mediums, you know. Like, we have painting, we have two-dimensional art. That's going to be, you know, we're going to be saturated with beautiful, compelling 2D images. Yours is going to be a Me Too. How long before it starts animating? Uh, It already is. But to, to what kind of standard? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, as a, as a filmmaker, animation is really expensive and yeah. really time-consuming. In under five years, it will, it will make decent video. In under five years. In under ten years, it will make movies. Definitely. Okay. Compelling movies with, with, with all the special so I effects. Write, and, I've got, I want to write a script about a man who lives in the desert and yeah. he meets a, an ice warrior and yeah, the ice absolutely. warrior keeps melting and whatever it is. Yep. yep. Okay. All of that. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And in fact, th- this that's going to kind of give way to this kind of hyper-personalized world where you don't necessarily watch the latest AI-generated movie with everybody else, but maybe you just have one generated just for you. That's exactly what you want. That, you know, that you continually feedback how much you like it and it just optimizes on that until you're completely entertained. So if I said to you, my favorite films were Kind Hearts and Coronets, being there, the Lord of the Rings, and I don't know uh, what's that. I can't even remember the the, the film. The uh, I've forgotten the um, Midnight Run. Mm. So if I said those were four of my favourite films, yeah, it would make some film that possibly, yeah, or maybe you could say I want a Lord of the Rings film, but actually this was my favourite part of the book. Could you elaborate more on this part or make mm-hmm. it more about the relationship between? These two characters. Mm. Would you watch that? Almost certainly, mm. uh, in the hope that it was better than the Amazon one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is the Amazon one any good? I watched the first 15 minutes and despaired. Oh, dear. That bad. Yeah. Oh, dear. I don't think I even made it to 15 minutes. Okay, so 
Um, can we talk about the positives? We're sort of getting towards yeah. the positives. You yeah. said it's going to reinvigorate the capitalist first world countries. I think like- so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we had how many years of growth did we have while the internet was rolling out? Extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, t- you could say we had growth from the 90s along with a couple of big wobbles along the way right through till COVID. Mm. Let me give you some examples of that will help people understand how much of an economic impact we're talking about. So, I mean, ChatGPT alone is kind of like a mid-level assistant, like 30, 40 grand a year assistant that can go write you things and, and mm-hmm. create documentation and stuff. Is it is it costing them a million dollars a day? A uh, hundred thousand a day, but that's oh, now... No, that's that's. I think it was always. That, I don't know if it was oh, ever okay, a million. Maybe, a million but... maybe initially when there was an, a huge spike initially, yeah. but um, that will now be offset by the pro users anyway. People have mm. paid plans for it. Um, Why would you go for the pro one if the? So because it doesn't go down when it doesn't go down, it's faster, and you get uh, access to the when the next version of it comes out, you'll get access to it first. And okay. a lot of people will be. Is there another to do one that. that's going to be not biased and better than Chat GPT? not biased do you yeah. say um i don't know it's very expensive to train these models very expensive so i, I don't know who else is out there doing it but anyone is good uh, for, anyone is free to do it you want to go create a, a maga you know chatbot go for it but <laughs> should we be shorting google um yes yeah i think so um and did you see the elon musk tweet the other day about how we'll come. I know we want to talk about the capitalism thing. But yeah, we will, yeah. Did you see the Elon Musk tweet where he got Chat GPT to write a blog piece about what happens when you en- invent an open AI and one of your partners takes it over and uses it for commercial gain? Did you see that? <laughs> I did and not. The Chat GPT's answer that it would be disreputable, awful. And yeah. It's obviously a reference to Bing and Microsoft and all that that's going on. Yes. Did you don't have any thoughts on that? Not really. I mean, I don't really have any thoughts on anything ChatGPT kind of says because of the fact that I think of it like a dishwasher, you know, give it a job. It doesn't have opinions. It doesn't reveal any truth really. It does know things that that you might not know, but it doesn't know anything that we collectively don't know. You know? So like collectively So you're not worried about the bias. I'm not worried about the bias. It's just, it's just, it's because I think people are thinking. Did you too, see the write the song about Joe Biden? Write the song about. Donald I have Trump. seen that. Yeah, I have seen that. But I don't know why people are worried about it. Just because, because if it's going to be producing fifty percent of the written material on the internet, and it is biased, it's it means that certain narratives will gain traction over other narratives, and maybe not the right narratives. Only in the short term, though, surely, because no. it's well. Think about it as like it's Yahoo.com. It's a search engine. It's not the only search engine. It's not. It's not necessarily going to be like ChatGPT will be this thing we look back on as the first popular large language model that a lot of people use that went viral. But it's not the AI. It's okay. not going to but evolve. You did just into say something. it takes a long time to develop another one. Um, well, it takes a lot of money, but that will that cost will trend down until the point where anybody can do it. Right. So okay. All right. Yeah. But going back to the the capitalism yeah, okay. the side of boom, things. Boom, the capitalist boom. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it like a, a mid-level assistant that you've hired and now everybody in the developed world has access to one of those assistants, you've it's not that you've doubled GDP, but it's not, not that either. It's something, it, it has the potential to be something of a kind of massive magnitude like that. The other thing I would say is things like... You we've, know, all, we've got a, a bigger, cheaper workforce. 
Yeah, exactly. Bigger cheap like cheap for the, labour. The cost of <laughs> the cost of like cognition as expressed by language is lower, basically. Um, another way of looking at it is like how much of our economy runs on Microsoft Excel? Like, I don't know. Quite a quite a lot, honestly. You'd be surprised how much of our economy still runs on Microsoft Excel. It's the most successful application like framework, really, in terms of who use. designed it. Oh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Microsoft are kind of like Microsoft Excel. It's always been Microsoft Excel, but yeah, I don't but know. If they've the, just got the patent. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's okay. a really good question. That that would be interesting to look up. But um, you know, Microsoft are going to roll out ChatGPT amongst their suite of products. They've, they're starting with Bing. Eventually, it'll be all of them. So you know, in Microsoft Word, you start writing a letter. Oh, I see you're trying to write a letter, kind of like Clippy, but this time it's going to just do it for you, right? Rather than just try to help you format it. And it's the same for Excel. Google already writes replies to my emails that are better than the reply, particularly the short ones. They're yeah, better exactly. than what I would say. Yes, exactly. I'm that. supposed to be a writer. Exactly that. But if you think about people in offices up and down the country are working in Microsoft Excel and maybe they need to manipulate data or do a pivot table or something like that, it's just going to jump in and do it for them. If they start changing something about each row, oh, I see what you're doing. Let me take over and finish that for you. Like the the slice of economic active like um efficiency that's gained just from that is is like newsworthy and yet it's it just goes way beyond that it just goes way way beyond that and you know just chat gpt alone if you took that technology which is a language interface and just made that freely available for everybody to plug into every different business case it's honestly it's it's absolutely huge and that's one ai technique of which they've been of which more and more are coming about as time goes on. Like I said, we had general adversarial networks. That was really interesting. Then we had, um, you know, almost at the same time, it seems like stable diffusion and large uh, language models where they've exponentially upped the amount of parameters that it has, which is kind of what's made it so good. Um, Who knows what's next? You know, there could be many more. And each one of these techniques lends itself to a number of different use cases and a number of different ways in which it can be applied throughout society. So I think the economic boom is going to be huge. I'll go even further as well. I buy, I generally buy that argument, by yes. the way. I'm, a, I'm one of the guys who says, no, you know, people might have endured horrible conditions in the Industrial Revolution, but they were better than the conditions they came from. Yes. And within a generation, they created better jobs, better paid jobs. And within a generation, we had a new educated middle class that could read. You know, I, I, I buy that the, the, you know, it's, it's disruption and some people lose, but the bigger picture is greater productivity, yes, exactly greater wealth, that. greater spread of wealth, higher living standards, Definitely. blah, blah. And a lot of personal enablement as well. Like when you have a competent digital assistant that's working in your interest around the clock for you, doing things that you're interested in and looking out for you, looking out for your... I don't know whether it could be your investments or anything like you have a website, it's gone down, it knows, you know, your something's going on with your bank or whatever. It's just, it's, it'll be looking out for you and it's a big personal enabler. So I think that, yeah, I think the future is pretty bright. I've got what I regard as like, I, you know, I've written about markets for so long mm. and I stare at charts and technical analysis and I've got what I consider to be the best technical indicator buy and sell of any I've ever seen and my problem is getting over myself and actually executing it Mm. so if I could have a bot that just said if I was able to go you know here's a whatever here's a grand or here's 10 grand 
you buy when it does this and you sell when it does this. Yes. Come back to me in a year. Um, I would love that. Yeah. I'm sure it. that bot exists, yeah. but I wish I could have it myself. You, you'll definitely have it. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, have a question, I have a question for you, actually, on. which is that on the financial point, do you think there's going to be an AI.com bubble? Yes. I think so, too. I think... I don't even know what the AI companies are, but I think we need to be buying them now. We need to identify them now and buy them now and ride the hype. Are you familiar with the hype cycle? I'm familiar with the hype cycle, but one that one safe bet would be, I think, like NVIDIA, for example. I know it's already done well, but people are still judging it on, like, how many graphics cards are they selling for gaming? It's like, you know, they're necessary to train AI models, GPUs, and they're, like, the yeah. forefront. So I would just, yeah, just buy a load of it. Maybe. There must be some <laughs> small cap. I don't even know what they are, but there must be some AI small caps. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. That would be my question to you, or at least that would be a good piece of content to put out. I would be. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to go and write it because I want to play it. Yeah, you, know. you want to get in on it, yeah. Um, I liked your note here, governments will pat themselves on the back. Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah. Whoever's in charge, like, when, when inevitably this starts to increase our productivity, increase efficiency to some, you know, and re- um, reinvigorate new industry and create jobs. And, you know, obviously whoever's in charge is going to say that they're responsible. But truth be told, everything's kind of global now anyway. Like the party politics stuff is just like a kind of soap opera. And really the big picture stuff, I mean, some of the stuff you talk about, house prices, quantitative easing, you don't really get a say in those. The whole West moves as one. Everybody dances mm-hmm. to the Fed's tune, right? So essentially... Um, you know, when this happens, it's going to be a global phenomenon. And yeah, politicians will pat themselves on the back. But for, for global factors, I mean, even right now, they're saying we're going to halve inflation only because they expect global factors to do it for them. That's what politics is becoming, just like mm-hmm. the ship is too big to steer. So they just kind of wait for it to move in the right direction by itself and say, yep, that was me, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I could think of numerous examples of that. Um, where is the global centre? of ai is it silicon valley or is it india or where is it i don't know i i would probably say i'd probably say silicon valley i mean open ai was invested by that audience um you know with the goal of and and a laudable goal as well which is yeah because you may be mad at them about the political bias but the truth is did they have to give you access to chat gpt did they have to make it free for everybody they have this idea of the alignment problem which is about making ai work for for good basically and they're trying their best to genuinely recognize and work on that problem how many other organizations can you really honestly say that about like just that they're even trying to do the right thing Mm -hmm. you know so um very early in the internet's evolution somebody somewhere if if the internet was invented by whoever it was the american government or somebody working for them Mm. and early on somebody made a decision to just let everyone use it and see what happens. Yeah. And whoever made that decision was probably looking at himself going, did I do the right thing there? But I think he did. Yes, I agree. Yeah. But I guess there's a similarly big decision being made now to release with with AI, you know, what to make. Yeah, definitely. Because on the one hand, you could you could spur on you know, the creation of various startups that go on to become huge companies and add massive value. But on the converse side, you're 
you're empowering individuals and what do those individuals want to do? What are their goals? Are they nefarious or not? You know, like mm. that's the problem. This is an argument I have quite a lot about freedom because on the one hand, you know, our tax burden now is, you know, probably 50% of everything you earn by the time you die yeah. is, is goes to the state. Whereas in 1900, it was 10%. But, so, and, and if you use tax as a measure of freedom, which it is, you're, in that sense, you're 40% less free than you were. Well, actually, no, the percentages are different. I've got the maths wrong, but you, you get the point. There's a 40% difference. So, and, you know, 50% of your labour is owned by the state, which is the same as the medieval serf who had to give 50% of his working week to his lord and 50% he kept free. Yeah. So, in that sense, we're less... You know, if you, if you're not keeping the money that's yours until June, yeah, we're we're you could say we're less free than we ever were. But at the same time, we're more free than we've ever been because we have planes, we have cars, we can go anywhere. Yeah. We have amazing boats. We can even go to space if we want. We have access to pretty much unlimited information thanks to the internet. Exactly, most yeah. of it's free. Blah blah blah. So. We're more empowered in many ways than we've ever been. But also, technology is very deflationary, so what you get to do with that, that take-home, you get more for it. That too, you know, on, on my phone here, which cost, I don't know, a thousand quid, I've probably got a million quid's worth of equipment, what would have been a million quid's worth of equipment Easily. 20 yeah. years ago, yeah. probably more. Um, so, yeah, there's that um, argument too. So... We are empowered, as well as being less free, at the same time we're more free because we're more empowered, we're more powerful. Um, And I suppose that's a very positive thing about GPT and all the related That empowers individuals, definitely. And I think we'll see see an increase in that trend, definitely. I don't hold out much hope about AI transforming the public sector, though, just because, like, you know, digital... The way the public sector is set up. Yeah. People in the public sector will use it. Leaks got to have a use for legal documents, sure. Oh, 100% it does. But the, the way I look at it is this, which is digital transformation with the in, the internet and everything um, drove efficiency across the whole public sector. Where was that in terms of the, the public? Sorry, where was that in terms of the public sector? That digi- Where is the, show me on a graph where the digital transformation kicked in and reduced cost. Because in theory, with that transformation, we should have got more for our money over time. Yeah. But and it seems we get yeah. less. Well, it seems we get less. I don't know like, how you, you know the it. all the NHS's um, failed uh, IT schemes. And mm. Every few years we get a new one. I can't wait for the NHS's AI, AI scheme. scheme yeah, how much money that's going to waste? That's gonna be yeah, you're right. But that, you're talking there about just a, a completely flawed model, the public sector model, and you're talking about the failings of social democracy, and it can't change because it's. Unless you overthrow the whole system or the money system collapses or whatever, it can't change. Because you, you wonder, can't change it by voting. You can't. Yeah, change no, it by- you can't. But but I do wonder that if if AI really does deliver on its promises long term, and it kind of drives the cost of various things down very low, especially things like cognition and automation, then maybe you'll you'll get to a point where things like you know healthcare, which in this ca- in this country is nationalised provided privately to such a high competency and for such a low cost that it just takes all that burden away from the state, basically, and replaces it. I think it's happening with education, um, to an yeah. extent. Yeah. Um, I think it's... Uh, yeah. 
there will just come a point where you going, what is the point of this department? A bit like libraries. What is the point? I could call my doctor at 8am and be rejected by a receptionist and go through that. Or I could basically, my phone could just detect that something's up with me and automatically mm-hmm. my AI assistant will book me in. And, you know, it's just... It's just... Yeah, by your breath or something. Yeah. By your, yeah. Um, I think all that is coming, but but state systems are slow and they're designed designed to grow ever more and short of some kind of Definitely. war or revolution, it's just not going to change. There's another interesting um, development I wanted to bring up as well, which sure. was um, I'd encourage everyone to go look up analog chips. So there was a startup that I think recently was pioneering it and ran out of money, but I still think there's a lot of promise in this. So... Analog chips are re- are really important with, with the future of AI because essentially most AI, if you think of like a neural net, it's it's just complicated math at its core, but it's done digitally. So you have a microchip with on or off burning through these massive calculations in order to produce a result. With an analog chip, you have something that is not a one or a zero, but some value between one and zero. And that is the perfect... Um, perfect description of like a weight as it pertains to a, a weight or a bias in a, in a neural network model so basically what i'm getting at is that with an analog chip it may be possible to print a trained algorithm like a trained ai like for example ChatGPT, onto a chip that because it's not calculating it it's analog you just run a current through it and you can then start giving it the inputs and getting the outputs which basically means that on the downside it cannot learn anything new it cannot improve but on the upside, it will run on virtually no power and it can be reproduced like basically in a factory, just printed. Um, and what's really fascinating about and I, that... But I could, like, I've got an analog chip, I'll use it for the next year. Yeah, and exactly, until version 2 comes out. Yeah. yeah, but it also means that you could print intelligence. So essentially, if you think about what that means, if you if you think about something like an automatic door in a shop... You could look at that as a game. The game is to keep as much heat in as possible while letting people through. Mm-hmm. Think about it like Pong. You could train an AI to get really good at that game, print it on a chip, stick it in that door. That now is the best automatic door in the world. Mm-hmm. And that goes for everything. You could have a kid's toy that you could have a philosophical conversation with. It can't learn anything new, but you can you can talk to it and engage with it. And it costs like nothing. And it runs on an AA battery. That's kind of where... The future it's extraordinary. T- it's extraordinary. And also... How do we... Is there companies that make these analog chips? Uh, yeah, there was one called Mythic AI, but I think they ran out of money. <laughs> I so, don't know where we are is it, is it a really... Are they easy to make? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. And I think that's why it's still slightly uncertain. But there, the theory is very sound that if you... because the, This is the reason why. With digital calculations, everything has to be perfect or it all breaks. Mm-hmm. Every one and zero on your computer has to be perfect. Otherwise, the whole thing is just going to blow up. Um, but with analog, an approximation is okay. Like if ChatGPT were to slightly wobble and give a slightly different output, would it matter? No, it wouldn't. So that's kind of why analog as an approximation works really well for trained AI models versus normal digital computation. So, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting, a fascinating thing because, as I say, being able to print intelligence means that it drives the cost down. And also, it basically is a bit of a middle finger to Moore's law. It's basically like, oh, Moore's law is going to oh, just it just sidesteps it completely. And says, actually, you only need all of this digital uh, you know, transistors on a chip, all of that stuff. You only need that to train the model. And then once you've trained it, which can be done in huge, you know, in places like Silicon Valley or wherever it, it ends up being the, the hub of this stuff, they'll be driving that, that training and then it just gets printed out and then everyone can just use it for virtually no power. Because as you mentioned, right, ChatGPT's infrastructure bills are through the roof right now. It's very expensive to compute these models. 
not if it's done in an analog way. So anyway, that's a bit of... That's really interesting. It's very interesting. It's slightly longer term and slightly more speculative, but I think that the theory is sound enough that we may end up we may end up with that. I can just see so many more things. We're all going to have more things, talking mm. toys and goodness knows what else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's an interesting thing, and it comes back to the boom that you're predicting, which I would agree with. It's coming. And, But if you look at, say you've got two economies, you've got the digital economy and you've got the physical economy. Yes. And I have off, you know, in the physical economy, if you go back to 1990 or whatever, the physical economy has grown most years, 3 4% a year, whatever it is. But it's been eclipsed by the digital economy. Yes. And the growth in the digital economy has been extraordinary. And the reason I argue that there has been this growth is because the digital economy is scalable. So, for example... Um, you know, let's say I'm in the business of making glasses. Well, I've got to manufacture yes. a million glasses and distribute them all around the world. And the bigger the item gets, the more, you know, if it's fridges or something, the more difficult it is. Yes. Whereas if I am in the software business, all I need to do is, you know, change one little algorithm and upload it to Google. And, you know, Google's millions of users around the world benefit. Yes. I design a clever new app and I upload it to the App Store. And then that app can be downloaded a billion times. So there's just a scalability to digital technology. That I think AI is going to change that as well, though. Yeah, well, this is my question to you. Because you saying that thing about analog chips. Yes. Made me think That's of scalability. That's only one example. I, there's yeah. another one as well, which is that why do robots still suck? Like, why do we not have robots emptying our dishwashers and doing stuff around the house, right? I don't know. Well, basically, there's a bit of an arms race going on in robotics in terms of AI versus hand-coded routines. So you may have seen all the Boston Dynamics videos of robots doing backflips and all of this impressive stuff. I've seen the ones with the guns. Yeah. So all of those robots are, they're not using any AI. They're, they're, they're They're just coded, basically. And and at the moment, in the arms race of AI versus coding, that's winning on the robotics front. The best robots are done in that way. The reason AI and robotics haven't married up yet, which is where the magic kind of happens and makes robots really good, the reason that hasn't happened is essentially that you need to train AI and you need to train it on a lot of data. I mean, ChatGPT is, is trained on trillions of words and stable diffusion models are trained on you know billion-plus images you need essentially somewhere that a robot can go if you want to if you want to get a robot to empty a dishwasher you need you need it to be able to empty a thousand different types of dishwasher in a, in a thousand different types of kitchens and you need it to fail millions of times and be rewarded when it gets it right so that eventually it gets refined down so you have this this um you know trained algorithm that's very very good at walking into any kitchen with any scenario and emptying the dishwasher but couldn't you buy like a mealer robot to do mealer dishwashers or do you know what I mean or a hoover but it's robot. not just the dishwasher it's the kitchen it's where the, it's okay, figuring okay, out where okay. the stuff goes there's yeah, so yeah. many nuances mm. to it it's not bumping into people or pets or, yeah. or there's loads of other variables and essentially the physical world limits you because there is no sandbox in which to do things at that scale right mm-hmm. so they've already thought about this and companies like amazon for example have a service where they have 3D physical environments where you train them in virtual environments that replicate reality and they can go through all these permutations and failures until mm. you end up with something. Um, I haven't seen that really take off yet, but I think that the reason why is that you can only create so many physical, you know, so many of these virtual environments as well. And I think that AI could solve this. So yeah. you have stable diffusion. 
Stable diffusion has already been shown it can be done not just for images, but for 3D mm -hmm. environments. So you could stable diffuse a million virtual kitchens and you could, you know, the, the tricky bit will be emulating the physics and everything, but essentially I think that this is how AI, this is how advancements in AI compound into other technological progression is that you could have something like stable diffusion, which could then solve the problem of generating environments that are then used to train algorithms that are then used to make robotics better. I'm completely speculating, but yeah. I think realistically, and essentially like with these compounding effects, eventually I think that AI is going to make its way into robotics. And when we have robots that are using algorithms that are trained at the same scale as ChatGPT and the stable diffusion models that we use today, those robots will be competent. And so then the race will be on to make them as cheap as possible. So you can have your your robot that does anything from emptying the dishwasher to cleaning the house or whatever. And that that hopefully unlocks that future. And also you can imagine what it does for manufacturing as well, right? Oh. Where robots at the moment are semi-competent, they'll become completely competent mm -hmm. and, and self-maintaining, you know? And, and house building. Uh, yeah, house building, <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to defeat the NIMBYs somehow, though. That'll be, yeah. the, that'll be the challenge there. These um, analog chips that you mentioned, mm. surely you could get an analog chip, stick it in your robot, and that's your well, that's 20, yeah, that's, that's what your twenty twenty three analog. I, sh chip I should think so. Yeah, and then the end of the year, you just get your next next year's chip through in the same way you get your software upgrade. Yeah, that's one potential future. I mean, it doesn't depend on it. Like if yeah, if if analog chips is a, is a failure, you can still run it with you know you can still run mm -hmm. a lot of these models with with relatively modest compute. But yeah, you're right. That, that's exactly what it, it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, let me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> Likewise, before, before I let you out of the building, I want to just come back to, you know, you, you called yourself a futurist, which is one of those sort of, what the hell's that? But I, I often wonder about, you know, where the world is going. It's something I've been writing a lot about and worrying mm. about and thinking about a lot recently. And you look at what governments are doing and you just go, what, where is this going to end up? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you've just got this incredible technological boom yes. that's underpinning everything. Yes. And so I guess I want to ask you where you... I wrote a piece, like I was arguing the other day, I don't know if we're going into 1984 or if we're going into Brave New World or if we're going into something out of Isaac Asimov yeah. or if we're going into Sovereign Individual. I hope you're familiar with all these different scenarios. And when I sort of paint those to you you sound like an Asimov guy <laughs> well I think that technology and technological progression is a better vector for telling the human story than politics is because politics just dissolves and what you're left with is what what how do people live and and you know what things tangibly happened in the world and technology is driving that more I think than than typical day-to-day -day politics, aside from massive war. And for me, when I use ChatGPT, although it's only one, like it's, like we said, it's not the AI, it's, it's one technique that's been employed at a large scale and rolled out to the public. And there was something about it that made me feel kind of sick to my stomach when I used it. And that was because I had this realisation, the same realisation I had when I was a kid and I first got online, which was at the internet club in school. We had 30 computers sharing a 56K modem. Um, I had that same feeling of, wow, this is obviously going to change the world. 
And I started thinking about it really deeply in terms of, well, how is it going to change the world? And it's really not clear. It, like five years we've, we've talked about, 10 years, some of the stuff we've talked about. Yep. Beyond that, it's, it's, so, it's so unclear because you could end up with this exponential rate of change and an exponential kind of rate of progression that's just impossible to imagine, frankly. And I'm an optimist. Um, I think that every technological progression has net benefited mankind, including nuclear weapons and everything. So that's a reason to be optimistic, right? But um, essentially, I, I don't know, and I don't think anybody really does, but I do think that we're focusing on the wrong things. ChatGPT making mistakes or having bias or, you know, copyright issues surrounding it. Like, it's, it's just noise. It's important to look at the big picture. And I think the big picture is a positive one, not for social media, though. I think that's... You think it's on the I days think, of social media? Uh, I think the medium of social media is kind of... We've hit the peak. I think we've hit the peak in terms of a positive use of it. I think it will just become a form of entertainment because everybody knows it's not real. Or everybody knows that most of what's on there is not real. Because everything that's verified as being real is going to be very vanilla, very within the boundaries of, you know, political correctness and so on. So yeah, I mean, nothing one of the exciting things I thought is, is I thought, oh, I can get ChatGPT to write tweets for me and I'll build up a following on Twitter. Yeah. Save me having to do it. Yeah, I'm sure people <laughs> are already doing that. And it's yeah. the saturation, though. Like, if that is successful, everybody does it and then the saturation yeah, prevents the it from working. You're just getting followed by other bots. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um It'll be interesting to see about things like video generation, how compelling, because if you have a narrative or a story you want to tell and you want to use AI to generate video to go along with it, but you're ultimately a human telling a story, that's going to create very good content. I can't necessarily imagine that AI just have people push buttons with basic prompts. Will it come up with something compelling or not? That will be really interesting to see, because if it does, then we're talking about total saturation of all forms of media and entertainment, essentially. To the point where it's almost meaningless, like an episode of something over here is just, everything is just a mix of media that could be recreated at a moment's notice or or not. Mm. It's just ideas at that point. So how old are you? Early 40s? I'm uh, 37. 37. Okay. And do you, do you have a family? Are you married with kids? or I'm married, no kids, yeah. Okay. Will you bring them up? Here in London, or would, will you go to the country? Or I think the country. Yeah, I'm a bit. I, I, to be honest, I got a bit fed up of London during COVID, right? Because you had all the all the worst of it here, but none of the best of it. You yeah. couldn't use it, but you were still paying to be here. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So for me, I think uh, I, I I love technology, but I do want to remove myself from all of the day to day noise of it. You yeah, know? but I mean, bizarrely, technology is one of the things. If you work in tech, you can actually escape the city it's one of the things that working from home and all of that yeah, yeah good stuff definitely as long as you've got a decent internet connection mm, will you stay in the uk or will you go somewhere else where would you go i mean where's where's honestly better and i also america, think america pretty good country Australia, america's too big to generalize though it depends yeah. where and which bit you go to but the way i look at it as well i just think the world is about to get better i really do i think that mm. we've been through we've been through some nasty cycles and a lot of people are probably still you know, depressed or anxious or whatever after the pandemic or because of the Ukraine war or all the other horrible no noise in the media. But just remember this. It's currently the late 90s. The internet's about to change everything. That was a great period of time and we're about to have mm -hmm. that again. And I hope it's dumb. You I think it's going to be really as big fun. as dot .com? Um, yeah, certainly, yeah. I do think that a lot of companies are going to feel this existential like dread in terms of their their ability to survive it. 
And so we'll probably throw resources at, and that's what I think the, the, the bubble is going to be in this case. They're going to throw resources at like, what's our, quick, what's our AI strategy? A bit like when the early internet rolled out. Oh my God, we need a website. We're so behind. We didn't think people were really going to order goods on these competitors' websites. Now we need one, you yeah. know? So the front runner's got this huge first mover advantage, but ultimately, you know. So I wrote this article the other day about the sort of long-term decade cycle. And if you look at the top companies in the world, the biggest companies in the world by market cap in 1990, I, I can't remember the exact number, but like seven of them were Japanese. Okay, and then you look at the biggest companies in the world by market cap in 2000, yeah. and there were a load of tech companies. Yes. I think one company that was the... Oh, sorry, let's go back a decade. If you go back to the 80s, 1980 was all like oil companies. Of course, yeah. And then, so then you go to, and then you go to 2010, and there was a load of natural resource companies in the top 10, things like Exxon Mobil and people like that. And I think maybe one or two dot-com companies. Microsoft, 2020-10. Then you go to 2020, biggest companies in the world. All tech again. Not one natural resource company. Yeah, yeah. And, or, you know, 80% tech, whatever it is. But Microsoft was is unique in that it's been there three Throughout. decades running. Mm. You know, if you look at 2030, do you think the biggest companies in the world are going to be tech companies again? Or do you think they're going to be uh, natural resources or, you know, banks located in some, you know, Chinese banks? Or I think it will be because AI is going to affect different industries differently. And I think it will be whoever gets the most the most bang for their buck from it. But I think it will be tech companies. I think there are startups being started today that will get bigger than Google mm-hmm. has ever been. I think that some of the old school players like IBM and Microsoft may manage to get enough of the pie that they stay relevant and stay huge. I'm amazed that they seem to be ahead of everyone else with with AI at the moment. Who, with Microsoft being, or IBM? Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, when I see Bing and all that, I think they're going to be there in 10 years' time. Plus, Microsoft isn't just a tech company, it's also a patent company. And that's... Yeah, definitely. IBM have also done, like, you know, they've done some stuff in AI, but also hedged a lot of their bets on things like quantum computing. Who knows? That could have a massive breakthrough. But, mm. you know, ultimately, I think that some big names, and I would probably, I'm not sure about Google, they're about to lose their spot as the top search because you may not even bother searching. Like, why would, why would, you, go, why would you search the internet for something? Just ask your, your AI I'm assistant. I'm already doing that. You know? Yeah. I'm already doing that. Yeah, but you're asking something that isn't even on the internet. You're asking, if you're talking to ChatGPT or asking it a question, because this is the amazing thing. So recently Gosh. I was doing... Um, a little project. I, I have a, an old rotary phone that I, I got and I turned it into like a dimmer switch for my Hue lighting system. And I, I was working on it and I looked at the wires and I was like, which one of the, which wires does the dialing pulse go through? Couldn't find anything on Google. I asked ChatGPT, it was like the red one and the green one straight away. Right. It, just, it just knew that. So that's better than search because it knows what I'm asking it, yeah. and, it and it delivers a, a more pertinent answer. And that as an interface for everything, wow. I mean, mm. that's what we're looking at. What about, you know, the most watched videos on YouTube are all education videos, that teaching videos. As a stoner, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, AI is going to have a massive role to play in that. I think so, yeah, definitely. In the education. But there'll be a lot of hyper-personalization. Like, imagine teaching people in the best way that they will be receptive to that information yeah. and what that alone will do to yeah, people's ability to learn. different people respond differently to different types of instruction. Yeah, they do, yeah. Yeah, or they understand things in different ways. I know that it was debunked, this idea that you're a visual learner or, or whatever. But, that was it, you know, okay. Um, but there is something 
bespoke about the way people yeah, learn. Some people need an arm around their shoulder, other people need a kick up the backside. Yeah, but expect like expect a world of hyper personalization where everything that you kind of see and consume is very much for you based on what you know you're That's interesting. Yeah. Hyper personalization. Yeah, definitely. Libertarians are like that. I love libertarians. Their their ideas are so like compelling and so very much not thought through. <laughs> oh, I don't agree with that. You're, 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 you're opening up a can of worms. We haven't got Definitely. time to open it. Very good essay, which you would agree with, by Peter Thiel, 2008. I think he wrote it called The Education of a Libertarian. Mm. Not actually that good an essay, really, but just because it's Peter Thiel. But he just said, you cannot achieve political change through politics. If you want to achieve that. political change, you have to do it through new technology, or new frontiers. Yes. And by new frontiers, he meant, you know, outer space, under the sea, seasteading, cyberspace. Mm. You know, that's what he meant. It's a shame and, in a so way. Because... In other words, places where there's no politics. Yes, exactly. Places where there's no politics. And it's a shame, you know, the Apollo program and how all the innovations that came off the back of that and how we benefited from it. And it was such a shame to see, like, things of that magnitude and ambition go away and and we've kind of got used to this kind of slow decline which has got everyone going crazy right now and i hope this is the the start of the end of that and um and that we can have a new you know well, simultaneously there's slow decline in some stuff but there's like if you look at round at the state of restaurants and shops and, oh, and yeah. stuff where there's no government they're all doing fine yeah that's very true yeah let me ask you last question then i'll let you out the building <laughs> so you're in your 30s mm. you're a techie guy yeah so what, what what does that make you a millennial or a, what are you i think i'm just about a millennial 85 okay um you're on the wrong side of the threshold for the housing market uh, yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say any nobody born after eighty five can afford. But a I'm living in West in... London, so what do you think? Well, Definitely yeah. renting. <laughs> sure. Okay, but okay, but you're so you're a millennial. You're a techie. You're not. You sound like you're a little bit libertarian, sympathetic, but not an out and out nut job like I am. <laughs> um, you are. You get Bitcoin. You just don't think it's as good as other people do. Maybe I'm just bitter for not having enough of it. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, that's that's a natural thing. You don't own it. You know, I often say, what's the definition of a bull market? A bull market is a uh, a market that's going up that you don't have a position in. <laughs> right. And meaning you dismiss it because as a bubble. Sorry, what's the definition of a bubble? A bull market that you don't have a position in. Anyway, so with all of this in mind, and we've talked about the digital economy, I want to ask you about the most analog asset there is in the world which is gold. Mm. And I don't know if you know anything about it, if you're interested in it. Is, it. is it to the world what the horse was to transport in when they invented the motor car? Is it a totally irrelevant analogue asset or does it have a future? I'm just interested in... Just don't give me the answer that you think you want me to hear. Give me the answer that, that you, from your perspective as a 37-year-old tech guy, mm. thinks. And you may have no one. I certainly think its value won't, like, drop to the point. I don't think its value would drop significantly, but at the same time, the way I look at it is this. The future that I think and hope that we are moving into is one of abundance of kind of everything. And so if, you, if your money has a lot of purchasing power... Um, why do you need gold? Like, what, like tr come, at it from, come at it from the perspective of someone who has all of this AI stuff enabling them in their daily lives and is completely empowered 
and has basically most of what they need and want what how how is, does gold come into that equation for them you know I suppose um, if we move into a world of things currency like debate, if we move into a world of politics, things like UBI and stuff like that, then it, it's printing money. Yeah, you know, all yeah. those are reasons. The government destroys the currency. All that is reasons why it might have a role. Yeah, but deflation kind of fights back the other mm-hmm. way, right? And what, who do you bails them out? Yeah, bails them out. But I guess which of those trends do you think is going to win long term? Is the question both. All right, Andy, it's been a real pleasure. If, do you want to like give out a website if people want to follow you? I have nothing to promote, not myself. I'm just I'm happy to be random internet guy. Okay, I don't think you've even told us your surname, which you can keep to yourself. I'll you keep want. it to myself for now. <laughs> <laughs> See what reaction this gets, and then you'll go, this was me. Yeah, for All sure. right, well, Anonymous Andy, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Likewise, and thank you thank very you. much to you at home or wherever you are for watching uh, and for listening, if you're listening by podcast. Uh, please subscribe to my Substack. I'm intending to do more and more videos going forward and, and grow the Substack. So please subscribe and... Um, Share this with a friend and I'll be back with another video very soon. Goodbye.